Well, good morning, Northridge Church. Man, it is so good to be with you. Thank you for joining us today, wherever you might be coming at us from, whether it's one of our Rochester campuses or online. We are grateful to have you here um, today. And Merry Christmas. I hope you guys had uh, an awesome Christmas this past week with friends and family. Hope you got the gifts that you were hoping for. If not, I hope the grieving process is, is going well and you're coming near uh, the end of that. But in all seriousness, uh, Merry Christmas. And uh, my name is Nate. I'm a Webster campus pastor and excited to have an opportunity to get to speak to all of you um, today. And as I was thinking about what, what to share today, I realized, you know, this is kind of a unique Sunday and like, you know, it's that Sunday sandwiched right in between Christmas and, and New Year's. And as I was thinking and praying around what I wanted to praying about what I wanted to share with you today, you know, I just began to reflect and think that, you know, this time of year, I know for many of us, is a time where we think ahead and we wonder what 2020 is going to bring for us. And for some of you, it's full of optimism, full of dreams, uh, full of plans, full of New Year's resolutions. Um, for some of you, maybe you don't have any plans or any dreams at all for 2020. In fact, you just want average. You just want no drama. I don't want any real high highs. I don't want any real low lows. I just, I'm looking, I'm looking for average in 2020, just a smooth year. But whether, whether you have plans that 2020 is gonna be the best year yet or just an average year, one thing is true. And the reality is none of that is guaranteed. None of our best plans or our, our dreams are certain. In fact, the only thing that is certain in life is uncertainty. And that's what I wanna talk a little bit about today. And, I can assure you everything will not go as planned for you in 2020. And that's just a reality of life that we will encounter uncertainty, unexpected twists and turns along um, the, journey, the journey of life. And as we look ahead to 2020, I wanna try to help us be ready and prepared because the reality is probably none of you are, are making a New Year's resolution for when an unexpected event happens. Like I'm gonna have a plan in place that way when life rears its ugly head, I will know how to respond. None of us probably are planning or have a resolution, but what I wanna do today is try to give us a framework for how, how we can navigate through uh, the inevitable uncertainty that life is going to, to show our way because uncertainty is a part of life. Things happen in life we would have never planned on our own. In fact, recently as I was preparing for this message, I began to think like, man, what was, what's the biggest unexpected thing that's ever happened? to me, like the biggest thing in my life. And I was struggling actually to, to come up with, with what I felt like a good answer for that. And so I actually asked my wife, Emily, for those of you who don't know me, I'm married to my, to my wife, Emily. We have three little kiddos, Olivia, Landon, and Claire. And I asked my wife, Em, I was like, hey, what would you say, what would you say is the biggest unexpected event that's ever happened to us in our family? And you know, this has been something I've been thinking about and pondering on. And without like blinking, not even one second, she just was like, Claire. Um, Claire's our youngest child. And uh, when we found out that we were pregnant with her, we weren't necessarily thinking we were ready or, or really certain we were gonna have a third child, but God had different plans and, and we have little Claire Bear. And we love little Claire Bear. She's sweet. We were very, very thankful that God um, blessed our family with her. But things happen in life that we wouldn't plan on our own. A, a boy out playing soccer, 12 years old, never plans to break his leg. You never plan to get into a car accident. You don't plan to get a flat tire in the middle of a snowstorm. Uh, you don't plan to get your heart broken when your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you. You don't plan as a parent to ever see your, your child go through a diagnosis, an illness, or a disease. You don't plan to see your mom and dad pass away 
at a very early age. But what do we do? We all experience these things to one degree or another. What do we do when life throws us these curveballs, when we're smacked in the face with uncertainty? Um, What do we do when things don't go as planned? And how we respond during these moments that we all will face at one point or another tell us a lot about our character. They tell us a lot about who we are and who our faith and trust um, is in. And in, in college, I played soccer. And uh, I'll never forget my, my coach, love my coach, he was awesome. And he would regularly tell us before a game, he would gather all the guys together and uh, he would tell us this often. Right before the game, he would say, listen guys, when you think about the, the game, when you think about the field out there, just know this, that soccer field out there, that is not where character is developed, that is where character is revealed. And he was right. And that has stuck with me. And I think in a similar way, when we think about the uncertainty that life brings, that uncertainty reveals, when we're faced with it, it reveals more about who we are than we recognize. It reveals more about where our faith and trust truly lies maybe than we would care, care to admit. So what do we do? How do we respond to these, to these moments in life? And this morning, I want us to take a look at the story of a guy in the Bible, man, who experienced one unexpected life event after another. His life is like one huge roller coaster. He's one of my personal favorites in the Bible. I love to study his life. Every time I study um, his life, I'm always pulling new things, new applications out that, can, um, that I can take away in my journey of faith of following Christ. And his response to uncertainty is amazing and something we should all take notice of and take to heart. So turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 37. If you're using one of our Bibles, at one of our campuses, you can find that on page 31. And I wanna introduce you to Joseph. And before we kind of dive in here into Joseph's story, I wanna just start with this question. And the question is this, when was there a time in the Bible that God came to somebody and he said, hey, look, I have a job that I want you to do for me and it's gonna be easy. It's gonna be a piece of cake won't be difficult, won't be hard at all, right? Where, where in the Bible do we see that story, right? Nowhere, okay? That, that story does not exist. You won't find it anywhere in the Bible. All throughout the Bible, God has come to people and he's laid out these big plans, these uh, massive dreams and visions. If you go back, remember Noah. God comes to Noah and he says, hey, look, Noah, I wanna start the entire civilization over again with you. So here's what I want you to do, Noah. Gather your family together. I want you to build a huge boat, an ark. I want you to gather two of every animal and bring them in the boat with you. And Noah, he's a, you know, a little skeptical at first, but says, okay, God, I, 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 will, I will do that. I'll do what you've asked me to do. A little later, God comes to Abraham and he tells Abraham, hey, look, Abraham, I wanna start a whole new community of people with you. It's gonna be called the nation of Israel. And I want to start that with you and your family. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to actually leave, to pick up your family, leave, leave your wealth, your comfort. And I want you to move away to a foreign land. In fact, I'm not even going to tell you where that foreign land is. I just want you to go and I will stop you when you get there. And Abraham eventually says like, okay, yes, God, I will go. You can, you can use me. I'll do what you've asked me to do. God comes to Moses. He comes to Moses and he tells him, hey, look, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh the most powerful man on the planet. I want you to defy him to his face and demand that he let my people go. And Moses says, okay, God, I'll go. You can use me. You see, all throughout history, God has used people, people in incredibly powerful ways. 
Nehemiah rebuilds a city. David defeats Goliath. Esther, she risks her life to change the mind of the king. Joseph, he goes to prison. Daniel gets thrown in a lion's den. He gives the ultimate assignment to Jesus Christ to go to the cross, to die on a cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. The apostle Paul, he risked trial after trial, life and death to get the New Testament church started and to see the gospel spread. So all throughout history, we see that, that God has come to people and he has asked them to live and to lead inside of uncertainty, inside of really plan B moments, unexpected events that we wouldn't have drawn up on our own. And he has used people in these incredibly powerful ways, but it takes people that will say, God, you can use me. I'm willing, I'm ready to be used by you. I got questions. Um, I don't really know how all this is gonna work together, but I trust you and God, you can work in and through me, you can use me. And today I wanna, I wanna walk you through the story of Joseph because I think Joseph's story is so much like my story and your story because it's filled with good news and it's filled with bad news. There's ups, there's downs, there's peaks and there's valleys that I think all of us, so many, all of us can relate uh, to Joseph's story and his example. And before we dive deep into a little snippet of his story, I wanna actually summarize Joseph's story to you. The reality is we don't have enough time to cover his entire story. Um, in fact, um, Joseph, it, it covers 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. So there's no way that we would be able to cover his entire story um, together this morning. But I do wanna give you a summary just to get an idea of, of Joseph's life and what he experienced. And to do that, I want you guys to help me tell Joseph's story. So here's how we're going to do that. I realize I'm talking to four campuses, four different rooms, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide all four of our rooms right in half, right down the middle. Okay, so we're going to have a side on our left and a side on our right. And those, I realize for those of you in the middle, it's tough. You're just going to have to pick which side you want to go on. Those on the left, you're the good news people. Those of you on the right, you are the bad news people. So whenever I point at you, you're just either going to say good news or you're going to say bad news. I think you'll catch on and, and uh, just play along with me, especially Webster. I'm counting on you guys. I better be able to hear you guys uh, from here. Okay, so we read at the very beginning of Joseph's story that his dad loves him very much, which is good news. Good. But we read that his brothers hate him very much, which is bad news. Very good. But his dad gives him this really cool coat, which is good news. But his brothers, they rip it up, they beat him up, they sell him into slavery, which would be bad news. But Joseph starts working for this powerful man named Potiphar. And he actually does really well. And Potiphar is impressed with Joseph's work, which is good news. And Joseph, he's also a really good looking dude. He's a handsome guy, which is good news. Um, but the problem is, is Potiphar's wife is very attracted to Joseph and she tries to seduce him and that's bad news, good job. But he resists her, which is good news. But she makes up this really big story, comes up with a scheme to get him sentenced um, and put in prison, which is bad news. Okay, so let's stop here. Great job, well done. Thanks for uh, entertaining me and participating with me in that. Um, but you guys get the idea, right? Th this is Joseph's life. A good thing would happen, a bad thing would happen. He would make a wise choice, a bad thing would happen. He would make another wise choice and a bad thing would happen. And we can, we can relate to this in, in our lives in one degree or another. Maybe for some of you, you prayed and prayed that God would get you that job and you got that job. 
for a few years or so, and then you recently found out you will no longer have that job anymore. For some of you, you prayed and prayed that God would send the dream guy or dream girl your way. You finally meet that person, and a few months, a year later, they end up, they end up dumping you. Some of you have prayed and prayed that you would, you would get pregnant, and you did. And if, a few weeks, a few months later, you, you, find, you found out that you miscarried. For some of you, you did meet the man or the woman of your dreams. And you remember the day standing in the church, facing one another, exchanging vows. Now you find yourself in a courtroom on opposite ends, getting ready to be divorced. You see, to one degree or another, we all know and we can relate to these good news, bad news times in our lives. We know that gut-wrenching feeling that comes when something totally unexpected smacks us right in the face. So what do we do? What do we do as followers of Christ when these moments come our way? And that's what I want us to explore this morning. And that's why I want us to look at Joseph's life and his example. He has so much to teach us in this area. And and as we dive a little bit deeper into Joseph's story, I just wanna give you this question that I want you to keep in the forefront of your mind as we go throughout our morning, and it's this. What would you do if you were absolutely confident that God was with you? Just think about that. I want you to just keep this question in, in your mind. Hopefully you're writing it down. What would you do if you were absolutely confident that God was with you? So keep that in mind as we look at Joseph's story. We're gonna pick it up in Genesis 37, verse three. <clears throat> now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Now don't let that trip you up. Like Israel, wait, Israel is Joseph's father. All that means is it's Jacob. Israel and Jacob were oftentimes interchanged. So Really, that's Jacob. So Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. Okay, so we, we see here that Joseph's family is pretty messed up. Uh, we don't need Dr. Phil here to show us like some of the unhealthy dynamics that are at play here in, in, this, in this relationship. We got a dad who's playing favorites and his favorite is Joseph, but his favoritism is really just, man, it is causing jealousy throughout the family and it's causing his brothers to despise and to hate, to hate Joseph. Uh, let's continue in verse 23, it says this. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into a cistern. The cistern was empty, there was no water in it. Now this is a big moment, I believe, in, in Joseph's life because up until this point, based on his story here in Genesis, this is really the first time uncertainty, an unexpected event has smacked Joseph um, uh, in the face because up until this point, everything had been great. He had been daddy's favorite boy. Everything had been handed to him so far and now for the first time, Joseph finds himself in the bottom of a pit probably on his back looking up thinking, man, what in the world just happened? What what happened? What is going on? Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe not literally in the bottom of a pit, but maybe lying on your back on your bed, staring up at the ceiling going, wow, what what just happened? Why did this happen? I, I don't understand what's going on right now in life. In fact, how many of you guys remember the marionette puppets? And you guys remember the, those marionette puppets? You know, one of these guys right here. I got Pinocchio right here for us. And um, you know, the marionette puppets, what's kind of cool about them is they have these strings that kind of run down to, uh, to a different part of Pinocchio here. 
and you can kind of make him, you know, do whatever you want him to do, make him dance. We'll call that dancing. I'm not really sure what that is. I'm not really too good at this. But the idea is you can manipulate and control Pinocchio just by simply moving kind of the string and uh, this kind of wooden bracket at the top. And, and here's what's interesting. I think for many of us, whether we even realize this or not, many of us, we kind of view life this way. We got this string that runs in my finances. I got the string over here that runs to my career, my job. I got the string over here that kind of runs to my relationships. I got another string over here that runs to another area of my life. And, you know, I can just at will, you know, manipulate the different areas of, of my life at, at any given time. And I think we view life that way and we operate in life that way until uncertainty hits or we're, you know, we're, we're experiencing this unexpected life event. And, and I don't know if it's just a matter of time before you have to experience it until you realize, man, I can't control my life and the people around me. We get to a point in our lives where we realize really the greatest illusion is the illusion of control. None of us are in, in, in control. Of, of the people and circumstances around us. We can't control people, we can't manipulate them. And yet oftentimes we view life this way of like, man, I can just kind of whenever, you know, whatever, I, I'll, I'll just control these different parts of, of my life, but it just doesn't work that, that way. And I know for me in my life, one of the biggest ways I learned this lesson was through parenting. When I realized, you know, with my, my three kids that I love dearly, as much as I may want to control them, I can't, I, I can pray for them, I can talk with them, I can guide them, I can encourage them, I can discipline them, but at the end of the day, I cannot control my kids. And I think this is kind of that moment for Joseph where he's lying in this pit, uncertainty has hit him for the first time, this unexpected event, and he's asking these questions, I'm sure, wondering what in the world has just happened. And uh, we don't know that this is true or not, but I, I gotta wonder if, if Joseph is even beginning to wonder a question like, okay, God, where, where are you? Don't you see what's happening here? Because I think for the reality of all of us, even the most devoted followers of Christ, when life doesn't turn out the way we want it to or the way that we think it should, don't most of us automatically jump to this assumption that God isn't with us, right? That, that somehow God has abandoned us. And yet, we see this truth all throughout Joseph's journey and his story in Genesis that he believed and he knew that God, he is most powerfully present even when he seems most apparently absent. God is most powerfully present even when he seems most apparently absent, that he is there and he is working in your life in a very real and profound way. And you might be looking around at your circumstances saying like, come on, like, really? But he is, he is there and he's working in your life in a very powerful way. And this was a truth that we see that remained in Joseph's heart and in his mind throughout his life. Let's continue, we'll pick it up in Genesis 39 verse one. It says this, now Joseph, he had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So Joseph, he's thrown in this pit by his brothers. Eventually he's sold into slavery. Eventually he's, he's purchased by this man named, named Potiphar. And I don't know if you caught this, but did you catch the beginning of verse two? 
This has been something I've had to wrestle with and, and really, really think through. But did you catch it? It says at the beginning of verse two, the Lord was with Joseph. <clears throat> time out, time out, hold on a minute. I thought Joseph just got thrown into a pit by his family. And then, wait, he got sold into slavery then after that? But now it's saying though that God was with him. I don't know about you, but doesn't that kind of mess with your mind a little bit? I know it has for me. You see, I kind of grew up with this idea that if, if God was with you, then things in life must be going pretty well, right? If, if the Lord is with you, then your parents don't get a divorce. You always get to meet the dream guy, the dream girl. You get the college of your choice. You're good at athletics. Your finances are always up and to the right. You get the corner office. Marriage is easy. Parenting is easy. If the Lord is with you, things just go well, right? But that's not really what, what the Bible teaches. Let's go on. Look at verse three. It says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So his master, Potiphar, he kind of takes notice of Joseph. He watches the way he works, the way he treats other people, um, how he talks, the words that he says and doesn't say. And, you know, he's noticing, man, there's something different about this, this guy. I don't know what it is. Uh, I can't put my finger on it. But, man, there, there's something different about Joseph. And this is so important. This is a huge takeaway for us today. Really important because in the midst of your uncertainty, in the midst of my uncertainty, my response really matters. It really matters. It's so important. Your response makes a difference. People take note. They're watching how you react to uncertainty and to unexpected events. And, and Joseph, he could have been like, man, this stinks. What in the world is going on? How could this happen, right? He could have had a pity party. He could have been carrying all of this baggage of you know, his brothers and the way they treated him and being thrown into a pit, but we don't have any record of that in Genesis. Um, here in the pages of scripture. He could have been playing the victim card over and over again, but we don't see him doing that. And we probably wouldn't blame him if, we, if he did, right? We'd probably be like, dude, you had a pretty rough, man. Yeah, you have every right to be angry, to be bitter. I mean, it's, it's terrible what Joseph had to go through. But what I love about Joseph is that although he'd been stripped of his coat, he had not been stripped of his identity. Even though he had been abandoned by his family, Joseph knew he had not been abandoned by his God. Even though life was certainly not turning out the way Joseph would have, you know, planned, he kept coming back to this truth that God was with him. So let me ask you this question again. What would you do in life if you were absolutely confident that God was with you? All throughout Joseph's life, we see that he was firmly convinced that God was with him and he held on to this truth time and time again as uncertainty reared its ugly head in his life. And we could read on to see how this truth remained true all throughout on the rest of Joseph's story. You would see that Joseph was seduced by Potiphar's wife, uh, but he refused. He's thrown into prison for that. Eventually, Joseph is able to, to um, interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Uh, he does that and then he's put in charge of the entire kingdom. And time and time again, we see that Joseph remained faithful to God. And I think it leaves us with this question that, that we need to decide. That is a very important question. This is a foundational question. 
to our faith in God, our relationship with God, and it's this, we have to decide, am I gonna put my faith in God's identity or am I gonna put my faith in his activity? This is a really important question and, and there's big implications here. It's foundational. Am I gonna put my faith in God's identity, meaning who he is, the character of God, what I know to be true of him, uh, his promises, what, what I see described of him in his word. I'm gonna put my faith in his identity or am I gonna put my faith in his activity? And what I mean by that is just simply the circumstances of life where we look around at the circumstances of life and then we draw, to, draw conclusions around you know, what we think or who we think God is. And if things are good, God is good. If things are bad, well then obviously God is bad. And if our faith is in his activity, man, that is an up and down faith because as we all know and as we've seen in Joseph's life, it, life is up and down and we will have ups and we will have downs, peaks and valleys. And if our faith is in his activity, man, that will be a faith that is gonna blow you all over the place. But if our faith is rooted in God's identity, who he is, what we know to be true of him and his word, that is a strong faith that can weather through any storm we might face. You know, why are you going through what you're, you're going through right now? I don't know. <clears throat> I don't have a clue. How long is it gonna last? I don't know. I wish I could tell you, but does how you respond to the uncertainty you might be facing right now, does it matter more than you can imagine? And, and I think if we're honest, and we think about the reality that life is uncertain, I, I think for, for many of us, that can produce fear in us. I think maybe our first initial response is like, ah, oh, I don't like the sound of that. I like control. I like to know when and what and where all that in life is gonna happen. I, I wanna have control over those things. And I know, man, uncertainty can produce fear in us, but I wanna encourage you today. Don't let uncertainty turn into fear. Allow uncertainty to turn into trust. Trust in God and his goodness that he is in control because every single fear that we have every fear that you harbor in your in your heart in your mind it's really the result of a two-word question every single fear it's it's a result of this this question of what if well, well what if what if I never get married what if no one ever loves me what if I lose my job what if I get cancer when I'm 43 years old what if my wife leaves me? What if my husband leaves me? What if my kids don't turn out the way that I hope and desire and plan for them to turn out? What if? But I would challenge you and encourage you today, as we've seen even from Joseph's example, answer every what if with even if. It's a perspective shift in your mind. Answer every what if with even if. What if you lose your job? Well, even if you do, God is gonna take care of you. He's gonna provide for you. He has a plan for you and we can trust in that. What if, my, what if my marriage really struggles? It's on the brink, it's on the rocks. Well, even if it is, God won't forsake you. He will never lead you. He will show you um, a way of wisdom and what your next steps need to be. You can trust in him, he will provide for you. What if I do get cancer? when I'm 43 years old. Well, even if I do, God's, he's either gonna heal me and allow me to, to lead and live a longer life or he's gonna take me home and I'll be enjoying meals with Jesus for all of eternity with him, even if the fear comes true. See, when we trust that God is with us and when we trust that he is in control, we are not, 
we can have assurance that God is going to do and use whatever uncertainty we are facing in a powerful way in our lives. And not just in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us who are watching us. And man, I'd love to be able to tell you how 2020 is gonna work out, um, what it's gonna look like uh, for you, how everything's gonna work together. I wish I could tell you that. I can't, but the best thing I can offer you today, the best thing is the cross of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses um, in all of the Bible, it's a verse that perhaps you, you've heard us share before here at Northridge Church. It's John 16, 33. Um, I love this verse. So much hope um, just piled into these this short verse, and Jesus is talking here, and he says this, look, in this world, you will have trouble. What I love about Jesus, he never beat around the bush. He just like was a straight shooter. If you look at his teachings throughout the gospels, you will see that this is true. He never beat around the bush. In this world, you will have trouble. You wanna know what's gonna happen in 2020? You wanna know what the forecast is for 2020? Jesus gives us the answer, right? Here, here it is, lean in. It's trouble, 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 trouble. Uh, it, it's coming. It's going to happen, but the second half of this verse is so hope-filled. He doesn't leave us there. Jesus continues and he says, but take heart, be encouraged. I have overcome the world. He says, don't give up. Don't give in to despair. Don't be fearful because I have overcome the world. Whatever uncertainty you are facing, I have overcome it, so trust in me. And so the cross is this reminder to us, it's this place where the uncertainty of in this world you will have trouble meets up with the triumph of, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So man, the cross is this reminder to us that God can take the biggest uncertainty, the biggest pain, um, unexpected event that you're gonna face in 2020 and he can do something absolutely beautiful with it and amazing with it. He can breathe redemption, restoration, life, grace, and mercy into your life. So I, I just, I hope today really does encourage you as, you as you think about the year ahead, remember through Joseph's story and his example, God is with you. He is trustworthy. He is in control and he's working in the midst of your uncertainty in a powerful way, not only in your life, but in the lives of people around you. And that's my prayer for every single one of us for this, for this year. And hopefully this gives you a framework when life rears its ugly head for how to think and navigate through um, that uncertainty in a way that is ultimately best for you, for the people around you and brings, brings glory to God. Well, let me pray. God, I thank you so much for the hope that can be found in your word. I thank you for Joseph. I thank you that we have his, his story and his life captured in your word that we can look at and we can learn from, we can apply these, these principles to our lives today. And God, I pray that today, um, that your, your word and the example of Joseph would, would breathe encouragement and hope into our lives and remind us that you are with us and you are trustworthy. And even though we may not see it all and have everything figured out, God, um, we can trust in you because you are good. God, that you love us and you know and desire what is best for us. So give us the courage and strength, God, we ask uh, to do that, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.